Okay, welcome to another episode of Me Maintenance, where we talk about personal wellness and overcoming personal challenges and things like that. My guest today is Steve Cook, director of Grounds at Medina Country Club outside Chicago and our recent All-Star of Turf honoree. Welcome, Steve. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Steve has the distinction of being arguably the only golf course superintendent, certainly that I'm aware of, that has climbed a 22,000 foot mountain in Nepal, which he did back in 2015, 2016, back in that neck of the woods. I wanted to talk to him about that today. What prompted the decision to do that, how you prepare for that physically, and mentally, uh, what the experience was like and how it changed him as a result. Sure. Take it away, Steve. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I, I should say one small correction. Attempted to climb a 22,000 foot mountain. We got turned around at about 20,000 feet, so we didn't summit. Our team didn't Oh, summit. I didn't realize but, that. Okay. Well, hey. But that, that's okay. It was <laughs> that's uh, splitting airs. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, my goals and objectives had been met because they were very clear to me before I left. And it's probably uh, one of the, one of the biggest successes for me on that trip was that my, my mindset was really good going into it. I knew what I wanted to achieve and why, and most of what I wanted to achieve, I had already, I had already done before I even left as it was tied to fundraising to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So we had already exceeded our fundraising goal before I even left home. So I would, my, my cup was already running over before I ever, set foot in Nepal. But, um, you know, I just had an affinity. I love the mountains. I have always been around the mountains, uh, even as a kid, hiking, backpacking, and I've always wanted to get to the next highest thing. And, you know, eventually when you can't, you can only backpack or hike so high, if you want to get a little bit higher, try something more difficult, you have to, you have to learn some climbing skills. And when I started doing that rock climbing and ice climbing, I really enjoyed it. It was, a, um, you know, it was physically difficult particularly as I got older. Um, so that was a nice challenge. And then I'd always, you know, I had read the book into thin air when it came out, you know, in 1996, I think I've read it five times and it's still my favorite book of all time. I just, I just found that uh, the writing uh, mesmerizing. And so I was always intrigued by the Himalaya and um, you know, one of my favorite books is lost horizon. So, you know, I, I had always wanted to get over there. And I kind of just started poking around at this at this mountain that uh, looks and very similar to the Matterhorn. And as, uh, it, was, it was a mountain that I could afford to climb, number one. So it was in my price range. And the summit attempts are all in November. So it was outside my window of work. Um, and it was pretty much uh, a skill-based climb. You had to have a lot of ice climbing and rock climbing skills. So it wasn't necessarily a siege mentality like something like Mount Everest would be. It was below 8,000 meters. So I knew physically I could do it if I could train uh, correctly and have the uh, technical skills to do it. So that was kind of the impetus behind it. And then, you know, I just uh, decided to tie it into a fundraising thing. And that kind of exploded into a much bigger, that overshadowed everything else I was doing was the fundraising. So so you told us in the, the other segment, um for all stars that your uh, your goal for make a wish originally was as a personal fundraiser, not a you know big corporate thing was 
um, what was it, a penny a foot or a dime a foot or something? Yeah, something like the $2,240, whatever the summit elevation was. was kind so, of kind of so you said, all right, well, the heck with that. That's not enough of a challenge. So you put a zero into it, onto it, and made it 22000 and you wound up raising 35000 Right. Which is, right. which is awesome. I mean, I can see how you were walking on air by the time you got yeah, over there. Yeah, no, it, was, it was great. Yeah, we were able to grant, uh, I think, uh, six wishes, five wishes, something like really? that. So the lesson in all that is not so much about me, but it's about, um, you know, it gave me uh, it gave me more hope in the in the human spirit because, uh, you know, so many people donated, people that I hadn't seen or talked to in in you know decades, years, um, people at the club, members. Uh, I mean, all kinds of people were donating and supporting, and uh, I, it, it, you know, it. it gave me uh, a little bit better perspective and hope that there, there, there's a lot of, there's more good people in the world than bad. That's for sure. I think it's so easy to turn on the news and it's so negative that you think everybody's a bad human and that's not the case at all. Yeah. The good ones tend not to make any noise. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But, but didn't that, didn't the, um, you know, training aside, didn't the, the prospect of all of, I mean, the, the, and this was Ahmed de Blom, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Um, didn't that scare the hell out of you? I mean, it would me. <laughs> uh, you know, I have never, uh, for whatever reason, I, I have never been afraid climbing. A lot of anxiety, and that's sometimes not so good. Fear is okay. Anxiety's not so okay. Um, I, I, I mean, I knew the risks and anxiety being worry. Worry, right? And yeah. then, and then being able to not not fear is something you can compartmentalize and decide how you're gonna you know, attack it. Anxiety is a, a bit different. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I knew there was a risk involved, but I had, a, I interviewed and called around. I'd, I'd climbed with a couple guides out in Colorado, one in particular, Tim Brown, and I used him as a resource to which guide service to use. So I, I picked a guide service and a guide that was, um, you know, overly focused on safety. Like they were very big on safety. And one of the reasons we turned around was because of that. So I felt like I was in pretty good hands and, you know, I mean, you know, nothing risk, nothing gained. So if we don't take on some risk in life, you know, then that's really, it's, it can be kind of boring. So I felt pretty comfortable in terms of the risk I was going to accept. So in terms of um, preparation for it, both uh, physically and and mentally, psychologically, what did that involve and over what period of time? And Yeah, well, I, I was actually probably climbing specifically for that climb for almost three years. Really? Um, just, just because I had to develop a certain skill set. And, you know, I, 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 I could only climb, you know, a few times a year, hire a guide and go out and try to climb the Grand Teton or do some rock climbing, do some ice climbing and, and, and get some skills down. I, I couldn't string together three months of training out west of the mountains. So I had to like expand that a bit. And once I, once I developed um, certain routes that I could climb on ice and rock, I felt, you know, I'd, I'd met the minimum standards for what it was going to take on that climb. Uh, and then the, the training, the physical training part of it was, you know, like really time consuming because I, was focused on diet, focused on, you know, I'd leave work early, really like at two o'clock, sometimes one o'clock, leave the staff in place. And I would go home, prepare to train, train for two hours, come home, document the training, 
you know, journal out the training, get cleaned up, eat, and, you know, now, now it's seven, eight o'clock at night, it's time to go to bed. So it was really time consuming um, because I took it seriously. And, um, you know, so it's just, a, it was just a huge commitment. And then tack on that an hour a day, likely on, on fundraising or writing thank you notes to people who had donated. So really my entire day was, was revolved around that climb for intensely for about 15 months. I'd made a decision about a year and a half or 15 months prior that I was going to do it. So, you know, I think that was like in June or July of the year prior. So I spent the next 15 months trying to get ready for it. And what was the experience while you were over there from a um, spiritual, if you will, sense? Uh, yeah. not, so, not so far as religious goes, but unless that's what it was, but um, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in training on that because I, I knew that was going to be a big part of it. And I just, I was committed to, to being uh, present every single minute of every single day. Cause I knew likely at the age of 55, there's probably a good chance I wasn't going to get back there. Right. I pretty much knew sure. that was going to be a one shot deal. So I wanted to enjoy every bit of it. It was four weeks long and I wanted to make sure I looked around and that I was walking slowly and enjoying it and talking to people and just kind of being you're within yourself a lot, right? You might be with a team, but nobody's really talking to each other on the trek in and during the climb. Like you're, you're pretty much within your own self the entire time. So I just wanted to make sure I was really centered so that I wouldn't forget any of it. Um, and that I was open to whatever happened. If we summited, great. If we didn't summit, that that was fine too. I just wanted to really be able to experience it um, in every possible way, not just physically and visually, but emotionally and culturally. You know, I, you know, I, we had we had tea in a in the lead guide's house with he and his wife. You know, um, in in Fortse, which is kind of the the famous village up on a plateau in the Himalaya. Everybody goes through Fortse, that village, and, and you know, having tea at his house and having the blessing ceremony with the oldest living Buddhist monk in the in that region. Um, and we had we really there was a good chance you weren't even going to go because if you recall that year was when the earthquake hit Kathmandu and a lot of Kathmandu and a lot of the temples were destroyed. So really, up until July or August, it was even unsure if we were going to go because there was so much destruction over there. Um, so it was just like this appreciation when you see all that destruction, um, what is essentially a third world country that really puts life into perspective. I mean, you really, it's to be thankful for what we have here that we might take for granted that you don't have over there, running water, hot water. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it was, it was really meaningful. I mean, life-changing for sure. So we, for some reason or another, um, you've been a turf net guy for a long time, but we've, we have not spent a whole lot of time in conversation. And uh, I followed you from afar. A lot of it was following your, your blog when you were at Oakland Hills. And um, uh, I noticed a change in you around the time when you got back. And it's maybe odd to say, but, you know, maybe we have a connection that's beyond what the norm is. But 
I could sense that you that you had changed. Um, tell me about that a little bit, if you concur or, or not. It had um, to change you, I'm sure. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I would say during the whole process, just prior to the climb, the climb, getting back, um, for sure. I mean, you can't. And, 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 I, and I went, one of the goals, too, was to be open to change, you know, to be open to whatever happened, happened, just to allow things to happen and, and take them in and soak them in. Um, because, you know, really, we're only one decision away from a life change. Right. So um, I just became, well, one thing for sure, I became much more confident. I mean, I, I became very confident because... Um, I realized that even though we didn't summit, I could have easily summited. I mean, I was, I was in, uh, we were prepared to summit. Um, I felt physically great, although worn down quite a bit, but I, I knew that physically where we were, when we turned around, I was going to summit. It's just, it's just the, um, the circumstances didn't allow that because it was you turned around because of weather, was it? Uh, the weather was perfect. The weather was actually a little warm. So we were on an East facing you climb that mountain on an east-facing ridge, so it's in full sun, and we were just below a section. Um, you kind of kind of climb up a chute that is typically filled with snow, and you just you're on a fixed line, and you just simply jumar up this fixed line in snow steps that are already kicked in by, you know, a, a climbing route. Well, it was it was warm, and all that snow had melted, and uh, there was a lot of rock fall, so the rocks were coming loose and falling down this chute, and we were getting hit with really small sized pebbles that were rolling off of the chute. Um, and the guide and the Sherpa were just not comfortable going through it. And I felt like, you know, somebody was talking to me in my ear, you know, I've got a Sherpa beside me who's mumbling mountain, bad mood, mountain, bad mood. And mm -hmm. I could tell the guide was stressed. And I just felt like whether it was God or whether it was, you know, Buddha or whoever was whispering in my ear to, it was time to turn around. So we did. And mm -hmm. um, there are lessons involved in that too, right? There's lessons involved in failure. Right. In fact, there might be more lessons involved in failure than success. And um, so I've had to deal with that, you know, deal with not summiting, dealing with being 2000 feet below a summit that you could look up and see, knowing that I probably wasn't going to get the chance to come back and try it again. But, you know, I mean, I've had to had to deal with that. And um, so I would you know, I came back much more confident, much more centered, much more um, clear about what I wanted in life and what what. Um, who I was as a person, you're spending a lot of time alone. I mean, even though you're in a group, you're inside your own head pretty much the whole time. I mean, wow. maybe at mealtime at the end of the day at camp, but you're pretty much inside your head the whole time. And um, so I had a lot of time to reflect. And um, there's obviously a life-changing event for me. You know, sure. Did your mindset or, or attitude about the golf industry change at all um, from a, you know, you know, you're at this, when you're over there, you're in this very big picture, uh, you know, blue skies and just uh, unlimited vistas and all this kind of stuff. Huge, huge um, uh, the hell's the word I'm looking for. Whatever. Let me back up a little bit. Yeah, it's a big landscape. A big landscape. That's what I was looking for. You know, and then so you come down from that and you're obviously uh, a different person on a lot of levels. Um, again, did that. 
how did that make you feel about the minutiae, if you will, of, of the golf course business? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's really important um, for people, for, for us, to go places that make you feel small. And I don't mean insignificant. I mean, just less significant, right? And the Himalaya for me, and the mountains just in general do that for me because they make me feel small. They put my ego in place and they they make me realize that I'm not so important. And when you go to a place like that where the sky is so big and uh, you're, you're, just, you're, you know, it's not like going to Europe. You're like going East. So you're going into a completely different lifestyle, a completely different perspective of the world where Buddhism and Hinduism meet. And that's what makes Kathmandu so interesting is that, you know, you have, you have the marriage of Buddhism and Hinduism in one town, like they just butt up against each other. Hmm. And I, I think when I came back and even before I left through the whole process, it was such a, um, you know, an emotionally moving thing to me. You come back and, you, and, and other things don't seem so important. You know, they just really don't. And that can be a bit of a struggle because you're still getting paid to do a job. Um, so I think when I came back, it came a, was a little bit difficult to get reconnected into what I was doing, reconnected into my life, reconnected into work, because, you know, I had just experienced something. It was like being dropped on Mars right of the moon. Sure. I mean, I, I was, in, I was in a, I was in a, a landscape that was just so foreign to anything I'd ever been around before. Um, that, that, and the mountains will do this to me every single time. Every single time I go to the mountains, I'm a better driver when I get back to the city, right? <laughs> I'm a more kind driver. I'm less, right. a, a less stressed driver or, I hope that I'm a better boss. I hope I'm a better person to be around because I realize it's not all that important. It's just grass. And if the grass dies, you plant more. Like it's not that complicated. You know, I, I think we in our business overcomplicate things so much. And along the way of overcomplication, we miss so much of life, of people that are around us and get wrapped up in the moment, moment of, I don't know, what bent grass is doing at 2 p.m. And um, you, when you do that, you forget that one of your assistants just had to put his dog down the day before, right? So what's more important to recognize that your assistant just broke up with his girlfriend or your mechanic yeah. just broke up with his girlfriend or that greens are stimping at 11 instead of 11.2. I mean, so those kind of experiences for me, whether it's the Himalaya or the Rockies, they really, they really compartmentalize everything for me really, really well. And for other people, it's other things. Some people go hunting and they get the same experience sure. or some people go with their kids to Disney and get the same experience. For me, it's the mountains. Nice. So after you got back, there's sort of a, an avalanche, if you will, of change in, in your life, uh, changing jobs. I, I believe you got divorced, which you could talk about or not, not talk about. Um, uh you went or part of your reasoning or uh allure to medina was uh because your parents were getting older and requiring some care and that kind of thing why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about that well yeah i went through a, a personal change um and then at the same time you know medina kind of popped up and every time medina had opened 
prior to that over the course of years when Curtis Tyrell got the job earlier, 10 years prior, I'd kind of looked at it, but the timing wasn't right. And then when Curtis left, I felt like, you know, if I was going to come back to kind of what was my home course, my home state where I had a lot of friends, my home city, so to speak, I was either going to do it then or I was not going to do it. So that's why I, I, I stuck my toe in the water and one thing led to another. And, you know, here I am. Um, but it was a tumultuous time as somebody else said it better than me. It's like I took my life in that 24 month time frame, took my life, my life was a bucket of bolts and I dumped it all on the basement floor, you know, and I had to put, I had to put all that stuff back together again yeah. and it make was difficult it. and make something out of it. And it was, it was hard to put it all back together. And I don't, I don't know that you ever completely do. Um, but, but part, part of that process is throwing out the nuts and bolts that yes. you don't need. Yes, correct. That's that's right, Peter. That, that's exactly right. And putting hopefully putting it back together better, right? Because yeah. <laughs> clearly they weren't all together for me personally. And uh, so hopefully I've put it back together better. And it's just been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful change for me to be here closer to where I grew up. I grew up two hours west of here. Um, I went to school in the state. I, I, you know, I've lived in, in this city before. Um, I have former assistants and superintendents that are here that I'm really close with. In fact, just hired one um, who's going to be the golf course manager, Ben McGargle. He starts in April. Um, so it's just been, um, you know, as I said earlier, we're one decision away from a change in life, a life-changing event. And, you know, um, my life kind of took a 180 by coming here. And it's been it's been great. I mean, it's been so good for me in ways that I couldn't even explain. So or didn't, it's been or didn't anticipate or didn't anticipate for sure. Didn't anticipate. Um, I'm much more comfortable with who I am as a person. I'm much more comfortable with the decisions I've made. Um, much more confident. Uh, I just, you know, I'm one of those guys we talked earlier. I, I, I have loved getting older with the exception of what it's done to me physically. You know, I can't, I can't ride my bike as hard or as far Um, you know, climbing's probably out, but I've loved all the other things, the perspective it brings to life. Um, so it's been, it's been a great journey for me to be here. Yeah. There aren't too many periods in my life that I'd want to go back and repeat. I kind of enjoy the, uh, I don't know whether it's the street smarts or the hopefully some of its wisdom that you gain over the years. And a lot of that is, is making mistakes. I'm a big fan of making mistakes. If you're not just, making mistakes, you're not growing. It just makes small ones. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. And the big ones, the big mistakes you make, try to, you know, just try to overcome them. You know, I mean, it's um, if you're not making mistakes, you're just not you're not advancing. That's for sure. You're not learning as much. And uh, a friend of mine at in instilled in me the thought that when you stop learning you start dying so yep it's uh it's a good thing to to, uh to keep learning yep okay let's wrap this up steve i appreciate it i want to thank thank you so much thank our sponsors uh for making this all possible and um we'll throw in a couple extra pieces into your swag box for this i'll take them i don't there you go. A gift. So listen, get that airstream. You've got a new puppy. Yeah, Ilsa. So yeah. I expect to see you either in Vermont or up in the Maritimes, and we'll uh, 
we'll pursue this conversation. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that, Peter. Really, I'm really pleased and honored that you included me. So thank you. Very good for uh, Steve Cook and myself. Let's slam the lid on this uh, episode of Me Maintenance, and uh, we'll be back with another victim soon. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.